Hi, it's Dan Hare for Dusty Discs Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today, we're thrilled to have as our guest Kim Burley, member of the iconic Canadian band The Stampeders. We'll be talking music, travels, the business of music, the ups and downs of being a career entertainer, and we'll get some other insights as well. We might even find out what instrument Kim played before drums. So stick around for that and for a look inside the Canadian music scene from someone who's been there for more than half a century. Kim Burley, drummer, singer, songwriter, SoCan Lifetime Achievement Award winner, and founding member of the legendary Canadian band, The Stampeders. Classic Canadiana and songs that are still loved by everyone today. Thanks for joining us, Kim. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, Dan. Good. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, sharing some of your insights with you. Looking forward to it. I was going to ask you right out of the shoot, how are you doing through this COVID shutdown? Are you going crazy? Are you staying healthy? Are you healthy and happy? Well, I, I yeah, I've, I've made some real good use of the downtime. I've, I've had a total knee replacement surgery, which... <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you know, you do need to be down for a while. So this is uh, this has actually worked out very well. Uh, Good for you in that in that respect and um other than that i mean uh, i'm not having a hard time with it um uh, yeah. I, I guess maybe i'm you know i'm uh, uh i'm okay to be uh, kind of isolated i'm not much of a social butterfly at the best of right. times okay and so this is uh, working well yeah so good and you're a positive minded person you're not you're not gonna let it get you down oh for sure Good for you, because I know it's affected a lot of people, of course, and we'll, we'll get into the, you know, the how it affects the music and the touring and everything else. And and some people are super bummed out and other people have used it as a, a chance to move forward, you know, and do other things. So it, are you still hobbling around? Is your knee okay now? Yeah, no, I'm at um, about 10 weeks. Okay. And, uh, it's, it's, it's great. It's working very well. It works way better than the other one or the, than the old one. Well, good for you. I know it's funny. I read Bobby Orr's book and he said he got both his knees replaced, I think somewhere around 2003 or four and said he should have done it years earlier that he waited too long. He hobbled around on those bad knees for too long. So, so good for you for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Is your drumming still okay? You, uh, I'm uh, back. I'm back. I'm back drumming now. I, I'm uh, working on, I have a, a, a e-drums, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and so I'm, uh, now you don't have to play as hard on a e-drums as you do on an acoustic kit. Right. But um, yeah. uh, that's what I can use in, in, you know, my place where I, where I live now. I don't want to be waking Good. up the yeah. neighborhood. So, so I'm working, uh, I'm, I'm starting back to working on them. It's, my left knee was the one I had done. And it's, um, so when I'm drumming, it's in kind of constant motion. It's my, it's a, it's a meter device as well as, uh, as a hi-hat operator you know so my leg is bouncing pretty steadily and uh and um it takes some abuse yeah yeah well good for you though i'm, I'm glad that you got it down and and uh, hopefully you'll be back to normal and you'll be out on the dance floor or cutting a rug as soon as you can oh sure thing yeah. so i was going to go through a brief history i mean i don't want to cover a lot of stuff that can that people can find online i was just curious your your band came out of calgary the stampeders always was thought to be a calgary band is that where you were born no no i was born in dawson creek in northern bc okay. and uh, but the family moved to calgary when i was uh, 12 years old and so I this is before i started to drum or anything like that and yeah. um uh, uh yeah so when i was 15 i got some drums um yeah and um and that, that right away i uh right away I could play. And, um, yeah. uh, so I don't, you know, I don't know what, what that was all about. I, um, I didn't want to take any lessons uh, or anything like that. I just listened to records and I played along with them and I could hear, I could hear the different parts of the music, right? I could hear yeah. the drums and I could hear the bass and could hear what the, what the different instruments were, were doing. And, yeah. um, 
so yeah, I just started to play, and within like three months of getting my drums and <laughs> sitting in the basement with them, and uh, and uh, uh, you know, learning to yeah. feel the drums, I I uh, uh, I put an ad in the Calgary Herald, uh, the want ad for musicians, you know, and um, yeah, and uh, I I got some responses, and various guys came over to. Uh, uh, check me out and vice versa. And I ended up, um, a fella came over by the name of Brendan Little, who was a, a bass player. And mm -hmm. as it turned out, he was in a band with Rich Dodson of the, nice. of the Stampeders who, who, uh, and they, they, they had a drummer, but they were looking for a, uh, a better drummer. And so he, yeah. he showed up and he invited me out to Forest Lawn, which was a long bus ride back in those days. I would have been uh, 1960. 63 64 yep. and uh so i took the long sunday bus ride out there and um and the, you know this other drummer's drums were there and i sat down at the drums and and played wipeout and i had the job <laughs> it's funny how that goes with instruments you know it's a feel <laughs> thing right like the, the the bottom line is can you do it or not and if you get the feel and you and it's sort of in you you get it fairly quickly and then you can you can progress quickly and it's funny when you talk about that how you met your musician friends and stuff i mean that that's literally played out thousands of times and for most people of course it's just a fun sort of thing in your teens and then you move on and and live your life so did you have like a defining moment like when you decided you were going to pursue a career in music like what, what was your defining moment where you thought hey you know i might be able to do something with this mm, i uh, i really wanted to do that. You know, I started playing drums and I lost interest in a lot of other things. I was in grade 11, I guess. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and I, you know, I lost interest in, in school. I had been a, 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 you know, a high average student, right. I passed with 60% yeah. averages or something like that. And, uh, and I started to slip <laughs> and, uh, but, but um, the, really the defining moment was um, meeting a guy named, named Mel Shaw who was, um, yeah. uh, he ran, he, he, he got talent for a Saturday afternoon dance uh, TV show, right? And, okay. And television yeah. in Calgary, there were two different, two TV stations, and each one of them had a, they had competing Saturday afternoon dance programs, and they all, they both had live bands. And um, so we, uh, uh, my older brother, who was uh, a vocalist, and he wasn't in the band or anything at that point, but he, um, uh got hold of Mel and said, you know, I've got this band and we'd kind of like to go on TV. And, uh, and my brother was, uh, fairly good with electronics. He was six years old, uh, older than me. And, uh, and uh, okay. so anyway, he went, Mel said, well, you know, I'm having some problems with the, uh, you know, the, uh, electronics in my car. Could you come over and have a look at that? <laughs> and so, <laughs> so that's how they got together. And as it turned out, you know, my brother did fix the car kind of like uh, yeah. instead of the radio coming on though the windshield wipers went and uh, and, yeah. and different things like that but once you worked out the new <laughs> the new uh, uh uh the pattern for everything he, he was able yeah. to, to make it work and nobody had any okay. money in those days it was uh yeah of course yeah just well interesting so you would consider that your your break where you really thought you could do something with this and, and, and yeah, make it a life for yourself the thing about mel was he was uh he, he was, uh, so he produced the show. He, he, or not produced it, but he got talent for the TV show. He also, uh, was the kind of the only agent in town for, uh, uh, teen bands. Right. Yeah. And, and okay. he published a little, uh, you know, just a fold over, uh, 
what's happening in Calgary. And he would always list the, uh, the top 20 songs or top 40, perhaps yeah. I can't remember, but, um, but he, he had, um, tried to have a musical career himself and, 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 uh, he loved music and loved the whole thing, but, but, um, he was not a great, uh, vocalist and, but he had, uh, uh, toured a bit in the, you know, the Northern States and Montana and some of that with a, with a, with a guy named Chan Daniels who had uh, the hippie hippie shake. He had a big hit with that, but yeah. And I think you're talking late fifties here. And um, so when he came back uh, to Calgary, he just wanted to be, he wanted to make a life out of the music business, and he believed that you could, you see. Yeah. Never met anyone yeah. who actually thought that you could make a, a living, n- not even be famous, but yeah. that you could even make a living playing a musical instrument, and he, he was sure you could. And so, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I just attached to, to him and his, um, his way of thinking, you know. You, yeah. no, I thought, great! <laughs> Well, it, it, you know, it's, it's, you make a good point because the first thing you have to do is believe that you can do it. If you're going to get up and hit the baseball and the guy's going to pitch the ball, the first thing you have to do is believe that you can actually hit the ball. So I, I applaud that. I mean, I never overthought it myself. I've been able to make a living many years playing the music business and, and I never really overthought it. You know, I just thought well, I'm going to do it. So well, Yeah. And, and you don't at that, at that age, you, you don't, uh, if, if somebody hands you an idea and you like it, well, you just take it and you don't. Yeah. You don't ask questions. You don't think, well, how many people are trying this or how difficult yeah. will this be or what do we have to do or anything like that? Right. The cool thing about Mal was he did have some, uh, you know, he'd, he'd studied the business. He bought Billboard magazine every every month. And and uh, and um, and so he kind of he had he, he had something in mind. I mean, and he got yeah. band working right away, got us on the TV show. We became the regular band on the Saturday afternoon TV show, which makes yeah. the most uh, famous band in town, you know, and we, so yeah, we, of course, we, yeah. had, we had gigs <laughs> when all the other bands were uh, in the basement. And so, it, uh, so um, you know, it's those, it's those um, yeah. things that you, you have no understanding at the time, just how magical yeah. that is. And if you miss out on that, then probably you're not going to do it. And, um, and so it was just, uh, I, I don't know, it, maybe yeah. it's fate, but fate, like you, like you suggest, fate um, favors those who believe that they can do something. Well, sure, and and yeah, fair enough. And everyone has that sort of time when they when they something happens and it just sort of is a bit of a left turn, perhaps, or just something comes out of and you go, yeah, sure, I'll try that. And that, so did you did you get to strut around? Were you the big man on campus there w- for a time? Did you feel feel good when you were? Uh... <laughs> well, that's the thing we we were playing various uh, little little gigs around, and uh, then there was a. Um, uh, uh, the most popular DJ in town on the, the radio station. Uh, he opened a little club in Calgary and this was, you know, maybe 64 and, and you couldn't have, you couldn't have music and booze in the same room back then okay. in, in Alberta. Right. And uh, it was a, uh, well, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, premier was, uh, was a minister, uh, yeah. Ernest Manning, who, uh, Okay. If you're old enough, the name rings a bell and you know, you yeah. couldn't go to a movie. Uh, uh, you couldn't go to anything on a Sunday in Calgary when I was a teenager, uh, unless it was free or by, by donation, the right. town was, was closed. So anyway, um, um, this little club, um, got really popular cause the DJ was pumping it all the time and it was a brown bagger, right? Everybody bought their, brought their booze in and, yeah. and, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, people didn't think police didn't come around and hassle you then or anything like that. It was just, it was easy going. And so here I am, yeah. I'm like 16 years old and I'm on TV on Saturday afternoon 
and um, and all these people that are older than me, because most of these people were in their twenties and uh, at least or thirties who came to the yeah. came to the bar, and um, and so uh, uh, there was this uh, a very attractive young girl in one of my classes who I would. Um, you know, gaze at occasionally, but wouldn't dare make a make a move on because you got to understand, I'm the shortest guy in the school, right? Okay, yeah, and uh, and um, and uh, uh, I guess some somebody brought her down to this bar or this uh, this they called it a discotheque. That was the word. Yeah, today. and um, and uh, so uh, I, I got that she, she wrote me a letter and and. Uh, expressed interest in me and I still didn't have the chutzpah to take her up on it but um but I did realize that um you know there was something about musicians that the ladies yeah. like and kind of changes your status a little bit it, I guess. It, it does it also changes your uh, uh, uh desire to keep doing it yes there you go and and so when I looked at the years active, it said 64, but this would have been before the Stampeders was an actual band, right? This would have yeah. been the five piece that. Well, no, yeah, well, the, the band was actually, yeah, we, we, we became the Stampeders when Mel took over. The band was called the Rebounds. I right, can't yeah. remember who brought up that name, but I, I didn't like the Rebounds because I didn't want to be delving into the past. And yes, that what we were, that's the music we played. We were playing music from the 50s and it was the 60s. And we weren't because yeah. it was different than just being top 40. And we were looking for something like that. But anyway, Mel took over. He changed the name to the Stampeders. And if I didn't okay. like the rebounds, I hated the Stampeders even more <laughs> because it was Calgary and everything was the Stampeders. And it just seemed so cliched and, and uh, ridiculous. But he made this uh, uh, point. He said, uh, first of all, the way he presented it to us is, you know, we were, he, he had the idea that there was nothing much going on in Calgary. You could not be a professional musician there. But England was the place to go. And so okay. not like not Ontario where we eventually went, but England. And, um, and so, so he was hustling around trying to get somebody to sponsor this band. So none of our fathers had any money to do such a thing with. And so he went to talk to a Calgary oil man who gave him, you know, listen to him. And the, the, uh, this is the story he told was this, he says, well, this guy will give us $10,000, um, if we go to England, uh, but we represent uh, Calgary. And um, so he said, well, you know, the way you represent Calgary is you called yourself the Stampeders. And, Interesting. Uh, and, and so uh, and he, the way he presented it to me, uh, he told us this story uh, to all of us, you know, we, we would rehearsed in, in the basement of the, my, my, my parents' house. And, um, and uh, so He's telling us this story and we're getting all excited about going to England. And, and, uh, and he says, uh, you know what he wants, you know what he wants the name of the band to be? And this chill came over me and I said, oh, <laughs> oh, Mel, not the Stampeders. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can see that coming a mile away. Oh, yeah. And so yeah, that's, that's, that, that's, that's what we be, what we became. And, um, yeah. and not only did we become the Stampeders, but we got, went down to Smith built hats. That was a local cowboy hat yeah. maker in Calgary. We got those cowboy hats. We bought, uh, we bought, uh, uh cowboy boots. We had, uh, we, we got denim outfits yeah. and, and, and dyed them, uh, yellow and purple and various yeah, I saw some of the yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so we had an image and we had a name, uh, that yeah. was that nobody else would touch because nobody wanted to go that route. And, yeah. um, 
Yeah, and we were a six-piece band then. There was a, 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 a Ronnie actually wasn't in the band. It was uh, uh, me and Rich, and uh, my my older brother was a vocalist, and uh, Ronnie's older brother was the who was a friend of Mel's was another vocalist. So we had two front guys yeah. and, oh, cool. uh, and uh, two guitar players, bass and drums. Right. Oh, and, um, yeah. uh, so one of the guitar players, uh, well, just fell away. Right. We, yeah. And, and, uh, and Ronnie joined the band because he was Van's brother and, uh, and he had been on uh, a previous band that Mel had been working with. And, yeah. uh, uh, their, yeah. their England deal fell apart too. So anyway, the, the Calgary yeah. oil man, uh, we, we had the name, the Stampeders and yeah. became apparent that he wasn't going to cough up with the, <laughs> with the money. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting. You say that because when you, when you grow up and you listen to the band, the Stampeders, you don't give it a second thought from your perspective. It's, you know, going through the process of finding a name. Every yeah. band just needs a handle, right? You just need a handle that they can yeah. say, who, who did that song? Sweet said, Oh, that's the Stampeders. And then not even a second thought, but when you're in the process of doing it, you kind of maybe overthink it a little bit in, yeah. in retrospect. And, you know, uh, you it's, know, a, it's a great name. And, uh, you know, at the time it was just the epitome of the unhip. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so that's, but, okay. but we had, we had, you know, like you say, very valuable things. Yeah. We had an image and we had, um, yeah. and we, uh, uh, and we had the name and everything went together. So, yeah. you know, so a few years later, the, uh, the six of us, all those same guys uh, in 1966 and June of 1966, we uh, uh, piled into a, uh, our manager Mel got hold of this uh, 1957 uh, Cadillac limousine from Imperial Oil. Now it didn't, yeah. didn't. I don't believe he got it from Imperial Oil because it was deep purple inside, and I think he got it from a funeral home. And, uh, okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And we uh, we uh, uh, rented a U-Haul trailer, and uh, we uh, put everybody in it, and everybody consisted of Mel, his wife, and his two very small children, like maybe. Wow. two and four or something like that. And then the six guys in the back of this limousine, it had two, two pull out jump seats and being the smallest guy, I rode everywhere in a damn jump. Seat. Oh, wow. And the other, Jeez. the other older guys got the, uh, older and larger got the uh, normal seats. And, um, yeah. uh, Funny. and this, uh, this car, uh, had these, you know, we thought they were great tires. What they were, they were winter tires and they were studded tires and it was June. Oh, okay. And, um, and, uh, we left Calgary and we headed for Toronto, a, a booking agent, um, uh, that Mel had been in touch with in Ontario was trying to build a national scene. Like the thing that's, this is pioneering times. Like there was yeah. no Canadian music business. It simply didn't exist. If you wanted to make music, everyone who had, Paul Anka and, you know, the four guys, or well, I can't remember, there were various other singing yeah. groups, but they all went to New York and they all, they all right. basically broke out of the U S not out of Canada. And, um, yeah. and so, uh, this uh, agent was trying to build a national, uh, circuit and, um, and, uh, you know, he had a, Toronto was where everything was happening and there was actual, you could make a living in Toronto as a musician, uh, right. uh by playing in, in the, in the clubs six nights a week, or, um, they also had lots of, uh, dance pavilions, high school dances, things like that, that would actually yeah. pay, uh, enough, you know, enough to, to, uh, yeah. get along on. So we loaded everybody, all those people in this Cadillac and we headed for, um, Toronto with, uh, basically not even enough gas money to get there. And just, and this would have been what year? It was in summer of 1966. 
66. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah. the year of summer in the city and uh, yeah. those songs, right? And and um, and we discovered about oh, an hour or so out of Calgary that we couldn't get rid of the exhaust smell in the car. Oh. The car just exhaust was one of the cars. And we're getting headaches and we're driving with our heads out the window. And, yeah. and um, uh, as it turned out, the, the wheel wells had rusted out in the back wheels. Mm. And so we've got winter tires, which are just loud. Forced. The studs are loud. Yeah, yeah. and there's a big hole in the muffler. So all this, all this <laughs> exhaust is pouring into the car. The, the manager and his wife and two children have the, uh, the window up between the, the passengers and the driver. They're yeah. okay up there. And you're in the back paying your dues, right? In the back getting brain damage, <laughs> which may have been quite helpful as far as uh, sticking with it over the years. But, uh, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we made that trip. Uh, we made that trip without stopping because we had no money. Wow. We'd stop to, yeah. you know, uh, to pee and have a bite to eat. And yeah. we got back in this car and we just trucked on. And our first gig in Ontario was in North Bay. Uh, yeah. which had been uh, described as a kind of a resort. And I'm looking, I'm thinking an Elvis movie, you know, I'm, uh, yeah, no, in Viva Las right Vegas, there. and we end up <laughs> in this roadhouse out of town because the town itself was dry. So there was a little okay. hotel with uh, swayback beds, and uh, that was my introduction to the music business. Uh, uh, no. uh, yeah, I woke up. I woke. Well, up, a... uh, I woke up sleeping beside Van, who was Ronnie's older brother. Uh, yeah, uh, in a swayback bed. So we're all stuck together. And my first time in Ontario. This is after the night after the first gig because we got there late. Yeah. We had to load everything in and play exhausted from like 36 hours on the road or something. Yeah. And we, Oh yeah. So I wake up in this, uh, uh, this, uh, ancient, uh, room. And the first thing I see is, uh, is Van's uh, false teeth in a glass. Right. <laughs> and, and I was stuck to him. I couldn't get loose. I had to rip off. And it was an Ontario heat wave. And I don't know if you've been, if you come from the West. Well, I, I'm from Guelph. Okay. I was born in Guelph. Right. I, I've been in North Bay. And they so, seem yeah. to be even worse back in the oh, yeah. to me, but, but uh, yeah. it was so hot. Um, uh, but Hey, we were, that, yeah. we were on, we were well, on our way. We were, we were professional yeah. musicians from that minute. Yeah, that's the rock and roll lifestyle. Well, listen, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment with Kim Burley from the Stampeders. You can hear music from today's guests and other Canadian musicians from the 60s to 80s every Tuesday and Thursday on Dusty Discs Radio, including one-hit wonders, regional favorites, songs from the top and bottom of the charts, TV show theme songs, commercials, and a news clip or two from back in the day. Listen online at DustyDiscsRadio.com or download the TuneIn Radio app to your tablet or smartphone. Search Dusty Discs Radio and mark it a favorite. Now let's get back to our special guest. All right, thanks for hanging in, everybody. We were talking to Kim Burley from the Stampeders, and uh, thanks for sharing your insights, Kim. We really appreciate you being here. And I just wanted to ask you about, so your break came. Now, the first song that you had as a hit song was Carry Me, from what I understand. That was a single? That was not on an album? Uh, it did eventually go on the first album, yeah. But uh, but at the yeah. time, we had no album ready. Um, but yeah. we had, a, you know, Mel was, he, he understood the business. And he understood that you had to put out records. And we uh, we made records uh, from right we had made we had made records in the in the TV studio in Calgary, um, and so we we always had product. We always had something to sell, and we always had. He was a great promoter. We always had posters and pictures and yeah. all the stuff that you need. And um, uh, uh, but our first, uh, so we made records. We probably made half a dozen records or so over the. There was a five year period that that uh, 
that where where the three older members of the band, the two front guys and Brendan, the bass player, um, fell away uh, one by yeah. one by one, and and in, uh, and things were lean, and so all of a sudden we had three mouths to feed instead of six, which was right. very very nice, and we decided. Well, we can do this. You know, Ronnie will play bass. He had been a guitar player and he'll play bass. Okay. And, yeah. and Rich will be on guitar and I'll be on drums and everybody will sing. And, uh, yeah. and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be able to feed ourselves. <laughs> and uh, yeah, good. And then, so did you record Carry Me in Toronto? Yeah. Yeah. That and would, it came out of there. We, we, we recorded Carry Me in a, 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 one of the uh, studios. And the studios, it was interesting to watch the evolution of studios. Our, the first studio was just a, two track tape recorder in the TV station in Calgary with, you know, a bunch of microphones. And the second, uh, uh, when we got to Ontario, we, uh, the early studio looked like a scene from a, a science fiction movie, the, you know, the okay. console with, with big black knobs, four inches. Across. Yeah. And, uh, and that was a four track studio and carry me, um, uh, was uh, done on eight tracks and the, the technology wow, okay. was moving along like uh, a yeah. fascinating time because things were moving very fast with analog technology and yeah. um uh so carry me we did in a studio in toronto one of the studios i had a deal on it was half price if you could come in yeah. at midnight and work until say eight or nine in the morning oh good for you and so good we, for we you did for that we that. went in we went yeah. all night and we uh, recorded i think four songs in one night yeah. and so we had carry me and uh and something for the b-side and um and that was yeah. coincidental with the um uh, the government bringing in the uh, uh, regulations for the radio stations to play 30% Canadian content, which okay, the, the CanCon, yeah, CanCon and it's funny because it, my wife loves Carry Me, it's still on her playlist. So I, I listen to Sweet City Woman and Carry Me and, and Wild Eyes. We that's on her, she's got about 300 songs that she likes, and those three are on there. So I still listen to Carry Me fairly often. Oh, cool, so, yeah, <laughs> that sounds great, yeah. Anyway, that was uh, and uh, Richard wrote Carry Me, but for some reason he thought my voice worked better on it, so I, I got to be the singer on it, which was. Which was great, yeah, because that is still one of my favorite Stan Peter songs to this day, and um, uh, yeah, so that came out, and 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 we actually got some airplay. Um, we got uh, we got um, you know we were highly embarrassed because uh, basically the uh, program director at Chum now Chum was a big radio station, you know, the biggest yeah. uh, all rock station or all pop station, and um, so they 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 started to program Carry Me and. Um, uh, but then there was a story in the paper about the CanCon regulations, an interview with him. And he said, well, you know, we have to play songs like Carry Me, which we would not normally be playing uh, oh. uh, if uh, if these if it wasn't for these regulations, because there's just a shortage of Canadian content. So, you know, we were pretty oh. we were pretty offended. So Mel phoned him up and told him this and he had not intended to hurt anybody's yeah. feelings. So he, he had us. Uh, he had us. Uh, he bought us lunch at a, a restaurant across the street from the radio station. He was a very pleasant man. And by then, we were uh, we had recorded "Sweet City Woman" and had the album ready to go. And so, when "Sweet City Woman" came out, uh, it went to number one on Chum, and we never heard. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so put that in your pipe and smoke <laughs> yeah. it, as as they say. Well, good for you. So, yeah, then it was a string after that. It was Sweet City Woman. That was yeah. probably your biggest. Is that still the biggest song to this day? Yes, to this day. And it, and it broke, okay. uh, you know, it was a big song in the U.S. It was, a, uh, you know, a number. Yeah. I think it went to number six on Billboard. And, uh, and, yeah. and you know, it was, so it was a summer song, right? It was, it was a, a, a perfect yeah, summer no, song and a big hit. And that, um, and that made us only the second band, the second Canadian band to uh, be on the U.S. charts. The first was the Guess Who. 
um, yeah. of, the, of the the era of bands, not just uh, singers and vocal groups, and um, yeah. and um, um, and we were also the first band that uh, managed to uh, uh, get the uh, what became the Juno Awards. But in the early years, they were called the uh, um, Maple Music Awards, and the guests okay. won for like, yeah. four years. And yeah, when somebody else came along, everybody was ready to give it to somebody else. Yeah. Oh, good. No, and you got the best vocal instrument group, right? Yeah, we, best single. yeah, yeah. It was a big year. Very little competition. Good. <laughs> yeah no it's good though so and i want to ask you about that in a little bit but um one thing i was curious about you know the stampeders has been through some changes i suppose over the years it, it says you were you you were active up till 77 so was there an issue with the band or had the band sort of had enough at that point and does the success bring out different aspects of people and oh, how yeah. did that go well like, it, it, all of those things um uh, apply uh basically uh uh we wanted to, you know, all careers are, are like a, like a wave, you know, you, you go up yeah, and you go sure. down, you have troughs and, yeah. and highs. And uh, so, you know, after Sweet City Woman and two or three songs and Wild Eyes, and uh, I mean, it was more than that. We were probably uh, around 70, yeah. 76, um, 75 or 76. Uh, um, we decided we, like, I wanted uh, 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 another drummer because I wanted to get down front and, you know, do the rock star thing. Okay. I see and my yeah. songs down front. And so, and Ronnie wanted another drummer because I wasn't funky enough and he wanted to get funky. And okay. uh, we, we got uh, a, a, a drummer named Gibby Lacasse who uh, was, who had a great foot. He was a funky drummer and him and I became the fast friends. We roomed together on the road and, and um, I learned to be funky <laughs> from him. Yeah, cool. So, oh, yeah. you know, it was great. And, and then um, we wanted to try out some horns and things like that. So we did all these things. And, um, uh, and then, you know, the first horn players were kind of clunky and they, they came and went and, uh, but you know, we didn't know anything about yeah. uh, uh, arranging horns or, or any of that. So we just let these guys do what they, what they were doing. Yeah. And, um, and some of which was very good and, somewhat yeah. but in any event we ended up with uh with uh, a, a band uh and, and but rich wasn't happy with any of this he liked the trio and um yeah and uh so and he wanted to uh he had gotten married he wanted to get off the road and um and he was always into production in a big way he, he richard would spend hours and hours in the studio uh, looping vocals and stuff like that and yeah okay fair enough, so, fair enough. So yeah. I decided well I'm going to leave the band and I'm going to uh, get my own studio okay. going which which he did do uh, yeah well, I was curious curious about that because I you know I've, I've been in the dynamics of band you know we have a joke in our band people ask you know how long's your band been together and we always answer with long enough to hate each other <laughs> and it's kind of a joke but it's 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 you know you spend a lot of time together I mean when you're in a band right you you're only on stage for an hour but the rest of the time you're you're waiting for the guy in the lobby and you're yeah. waiting for the plane and you're waiting for dinner and you're trying to do these things so you know, I'm always curious about the dynamic of the bands. Like, are you guys friends? You get along? Oh God. Uh, you know, now we are, we're, we've been the best of friends for the last, it's 30 years now we've been together. Yeah, nice. long time. Oh, that's good. And, um, and, um, um, but, but the, the one great failing of a band is the Stampeders were a democracy. We all wrote, mm -hmm. we all sang, we were all featured. Yeah. This is a tough go. Cause and we, we still all had different, um, um, styles we wanted to perf uh, pursue and things like that. And, um, and so uh, when Rich quit, it was like, well, okay, now, you know, Ronnie gets to do his R and B thing. And, 
you know, uh, I get to do whatever I get to come down front and, and, and uh, yeah. be a rock star. So you replaced him and carried on. Is the, we did. Is that we right? Did. We did. Yeah. And, and yeah. the band got, uh, it became a fairly, it became a seven piece band with keyboards and yeah. uh, a couple yeah. more horn players. And, you know, it was a very, it was a very good band, but uh, it wasn't the Stan Peters that you're used to hearing. And, and, um, and uh, Rich, you know, he's a very um, identifiable guitar player. Right. It's Absolutely. Yeah. I broad. One of my friends said it's a prairie sound and it, it kind of yeah. is. Right. And, uh, yeah. and so, um, um, uh, that was kind of, then, then the, uh, you know, then the, the slide down began, you know, you, you all yeah. of a sudden your records are not getting on as much on the radio and, um, and, uh, uh, the crowd. Yeah. And you got to come up with another you're, hit, you're, right? you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're on a slide. And so yeah. at, at that point I decided, well, you know, I want to, form a band and this is getting to the uh, end of 79 and um uh, i want to have my own band i want to front my own band and um um uh, and ronnie was happy to go uh his way and and do do what he wanted musically and so there was one stampeder album with that band that ronnie had so it was only ronnie um okay and uh, but uh, i formed a band called the cry which was uh kind of a new wave band and the reason i chose that particular kind of music is a lot of things in my life had gone very, very, very sideways. Uh, yeah. And, uh, um, and the, the mood, the attitude of, um, that kind of rock and roll appealed to me and I was, I was hurt and I was angry and I wrote, yeah. I wrote some hurt, angry songs. I don't know if you're familiar with the cry, but, uh, we actually did three albums. We were on RCA and, and, uh, we had, we had something going, but, uh, all the while, well, the cry was, um, uh, traveling and uh you know we were back then essentially this band i changed my name i didn't i wanted to escape the stampeder identification completely okay yeah. so i became yeah. kimball fox right yeah yeah <laughs> I don't know, good i don't know why but uh <laughs> but, the chicks uh, like it man but and i was the front man not the drummer and uh, yeah that was all fine we were back playing in clubs again though across the country and and things like that and uh, but you know the personal life was uh, uh in disarray and um yeah and so i eventually uh had to i just had to stop i couldn't stand being on the road so i was kind of the first one to um well rich had rich never did form another band or anything he just he stopped yeah. the studio and he had some good success too he, he put out some singles that uh that were uh yeah, cool at least got garnered a lot of radio play he didn't bother to actually seek to release them as physical records because he was making quite a bit of money on the radio play. And, you know, for yeah. people who understand the business, that's uh, when your song gets played on the radio, you get paid. Uh, yeah. Unlike today. <laughs> well, it's still, you yeah. still do today. If you get your song on the radio, it gets played. But if you get your song streamed on Spotify, you get uh, 0. 0.08 oh, cents. Ridiculous. I looked at the number. I can't remember what the number was, yeah, but it was ridiculous. You can imagine how, uh, <laughs> how many plays you have to get to get 10 bucks. You know? Un unbelievable. So uh, there is no money yeah. anymore in uh, recording yeah. music and selling yeah. music. It's all, it's all performance today. You, you, you got to be on the road. And uh, yeah. But anyway, so I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I burned out. I literally burned out. Yeah. I couldn't get in another vehicle and watch the white lines go by. It was just, uh, yeah. 
Well, I, I was going to ask you about that too, but I just wanted to know about the dynamic of the band because yeah. I know I know being inside a band is a, is a special thing, and so, and and when you find that magical combination, nobody knows what the formula is, but when you get the certain people together that create music in a certain way, something happens that that's magical that's really hard to recreate. You can go and hire studio players and yeah, and do lots of different things, but the, you're looking for the magic, and 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 if it's not there, then you can all have great players. I know lots of great musicians, great players that are technically unbelievably good but the magic is what is what's missing oh yeah so so if you would let me let me switch gears i just wanted to ask you a little bit about because i was asking you about the 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 fact that you're a three-piece band and you have do you ever have any extra players i mean you've got things in your records for example like the horns on playing in a band you know that that's great or the banjo i guess rich played that on sweet city woman but like in in oh my lady you got the blues harp right you got strings all through there yeah and so did you ever use extra players or, or consider using tracks to, to, to do cover some of that stuff? Yeah. Tracks were kind of, nobody thought about tracks in those days. Uh, uh, cause, it, but, but we did use, uh, like with, with, um, um, like Richard would contribute all kinds of stuff to my songs. Yeah. Right. And, and because I was a very lame guitar player, I mean, I, 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 I constructed the songs on the few chords that I knew. And that was, uh, that was how I wrote songs. And, um, which which kept them really simple, which is probably why they were successful. <laughs> well, and anyway, yeah. but Richard Richard just played the harmonica. I mean, he wasn't a harmonica player, but it's a couple of notes, and so he put that on uh, on "Oh My Lady" and uh, and Mel um, as the producer um, called in uh, an arranger and and put some strings on it, which was which was a very New York thing to do. You know, I mean, that's what. Uh, uh, but it sounds great. I mean, it gives it the mood, right? Yeah. I mean, it really creates a mood. Oh, absolutely. And and uh, and that's why it was, you know, it was fairly standard uh, business on a lot of uh, a lot of pop music was to add strings. Uh, yeah. And uh, but um, so that's that's how that all came about. But they were for the most part, there were people that we didn't even meet. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, they were done by the by the production. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's how that all that, that's how yeah, that interesting. And then, of course, you're never going to drag a string section along with you on tour. I mean, there would be no reason to do that. It's, it's like horns, too. Like you can use them in a couple of songs. And after that, you know, it's like, OK, boys, you know, take a break. Well, yeah. Know. Unless you unless that's the style of your music, for sure. Yeah. Now, yeah, the, so. the banjo, the banjo, uh, like this is you know, this is a. Uh, Richard played it, but he doesn't play the banjo. And I, th- Ronnie claims the suggestion was his, you know, we're in the studio. Uh, we recorded that at a studio called Toronto sound. Um, yeah. and, um, and, and, uh, which was a new studio, 16 track. All right. So we're getting yeah. tape, oh, wow. wide yeah. tape, the whole thing. <laughs> <doing tape. laughs> and, um, and, uh, so Richard's singing my banjo and me and Ronnie says, well, why don't you use a banjo to pay that little riff? You know, the game, it ain't, Oh, I guess. So Richard went down to Long and McQuaid and they only had one store at that time and it was in Toronto yeah. and they went down and uh, we knew, you know, we knew one of the sales guys there. So, oh, sure, I'll rent you a banjo for a couple of days, 35 bucks, take it away. And uh, so Rich uh, tuned the banjo uh, like a guitar instead of banjo tuning. And, uh, and so he could rip this thing off easily. And, yeah. uh, and then, of course, we had to try and reproduce this banjo on the stage. And it was a hassle because yeah. uh, he had to play the solo and things on the guitar. So, the, yeah. And, and banjos being, a, 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 you know, fundamentally an acoustic instrument. And, uh, and there were no yeah. electrified banjos on the market. So we bought a banjo and put um, uh, like a, a microphone in it or a pickup in it. I can't remember what yeah. the uh, the uh, 
the head was so resonant that this thing would feed back incredibly easy. Oh yeah. And so we had yeah. this banjo sitting on a mic stand, like kind of yeah. jury rigged onto the mic stand and Rich would play on this banjo. And then when it was time to do his solo, he would slide the guitar yeah. neck up the mic stand. So it went, you know, and yeah. then yeah. he would do that except, yeah. except that the banjo, Half the time when he put his hand around it to play it, it would just start to scream blue murder. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really hard. You know, it's funny because I saw you guys at the Sask X, uh, I think 2009 or 10, my band, I have a show band out of Vancouver. We were playing there. We were doing a weekly show there and we came over and saw you guys because you were playing. It was 2009 or 10. I can't remember what year. And, and then I, I waited for that and I think he just played it on guitar. Yeah. We tried that banjo thing for, I think, uh, half of one tour and then he, he just got fed up and and, and you know yeah. and it's disappointing for the fans who want to hear the song and all they hear is a lot of screamy feedback and so yeah uh, yeah he, he's yeah, the banjo's still down in his basement on the rack with the yeah. guitars and stuff yeah and, uh, no that's that's cool i just and, and, i wondered about that because I, there's something about a three-piece band that's kind of raw and it's kind of you're exposed you know you got a drummer singer you got a bass player singer guitar player singer and there's some, there's something cool about that and and the tracks i mean so so many people nowadays use tracks i mean you can watch a band and you can't even figure out what's live or not you can hear yeah. keyboards that aren't there you can hear vocals that aren't there and you're kind of looking at it scratching your head and i'd rather just have the kind of the band just play yeah and uh um, you know you know what goes around comes around i'm sure it, i'm sure people will uh you know it's happening a lot of the younger bands are are very um rootsy in that they're they're playing live and everything and uh and yeah. not, not using tracks we used overdubs not much like but because we the one guitar when we were in the studio richard would uh, lay down a rhythm part um and then, that's what I, I would think if you were going to get someone else it would be a second guitar player so that yeah, at least you could play yeah. the banjo or you could do something else yeah. but then again you're you're sort of adding to the band in a way that might take away from the magic of the band well, right? right and we never we just never uh never occurred to any of us to do yeah. that because it was working and that trio is uh you know we were the first certainly the first canadian rock trio that got uh that got well known yeah and um, yeah. and uh, a trio is great because uh there's nothing but space you know it's the fun it's yeah. the basic uh rhythm section right guitar yeah. bass and drums and and uh yeah. and so uh and you know you got those martial amps stacked up to the ceiling and oh yeah the, the bass and drums are enough to fill everybody's head and the guitar player can noodle all he wants you know? yeah you don't no, need that's another great. rhythm instrument in yeah. that context yeah we need to leave it here but check out the next episode for the second half of my chat with kim burley catch you then <laughs> <laughs>